Welcome to the Brazil Church of the Nazarene Weekly Sermon Podcast. This is a message from Palm Sunday, April 14, 2019, titled The King. Pastor Marlon Betts continues his Lenten series from the devotional book For God So Loved by talking about Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Here is today's message. How many of you enjoyed the children coming from Sunday school class this morning? Well, three of you. What happened to the rest of you? They were waving their homemade palm branches and singing Hosanna and shouting. Well, the first couple, three, were kind of timid. When you have Lucas up in front (laughs) and Caroline, they weren't saying a whole lot. But about the fourth on back, uh, they had their teacher with them, and uh, uh, Stacy was shouting Hosanna pretty loud. So the rest of them kind of joining in then. I thought it was pretty cool. You don't want to rock crying out in your place when it comes to praising Jesus, do you? So anyway, that's what they were doing. They were, they were shouting their praises to the Lord. We're looking at uh, Luke chapter 19 as we continue our Lent series. I really enjoyed the devotional this morning. Of course, I have to read it about five days early. But I hope you're following along in your devotional book. We're down to uh, 10 days, we're down to seven days, right? Yeah, Wednesday was 10 days. Excited about what the Lord is doing. Friday night we'll be having a, go ahead and mention it while you're looking, we'll have a good, good Friday service here, and it will be at 7 p.m., and it'll be portrayal modern style of the Lord's Supper. So uh, the time with Jesus and his disciples, and we'll have communion as well. So that's uh, Friday night, and then we alternate, and next year we'll be doing a Tenebrae service on Friday night, Good Friday, but we alternate kind of back and forth between the two. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 And remember the sunrise service next Sunday morning, 7.30. I know, I know. Some of you are just getting up at that time, but that's when the sun rises. So come on out. There will be breakfast and Sunday school and worship. And it won't hurt you to spend four hours, four and a half hours here with us. All right. Let's stand together. Jesus had been teaching, of course, in Luke's gospel. But when Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where you enter, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. Some of the other gospel writers say a donkey and a colt of a donkey. And he was to ride on the colt. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. 
Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as Jesus went, many spread their clothes on the road. And at other Gospels, talks about in the wave palm branches and shouted some things. Um, then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these would keep quiet, the stones would immediately cry out. And then the next verse talks about him crying over Jerusalem. But if we were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Lord, pray that you'll help us as we look at this passage. But more than that, we look at Jesus. As we look to you today, would you help us? We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. We call this passage the triumphal entry, and this scene is so important that it's recorded in all four Gospels. Each used a little bit different words to describe it. Uh, the Hosanna, the children were crying out, is recorded in some of the other Gospels. It's just not recorded by Luke. But it's just interesting that that's how important it is. All four Gospels talk about it. Now, the Roman triumph was the highest honor granted to emperors uh, and to some generals who were victorious in war. The Roman generals would come back. Someone wrote that if they killed 5,000 of the enemy, then they could get a triumph when they came into the city of Rome. Uh, it was a processional into the city of Rome, led by government officials, followed by sacrificial animals, which would be then sacrificed in the temples of the Roman gods for this successful uh, general or for this new emperor or whatever it was. And this would be followed by the champion that they were honoring in a chariot or on a horseback. Usually he would be in the regalia of embroidered purple, showing how royal and special he was. And then this could be followed by the spoils of war, prisoners that the crowd could throw tomatoes at and whatever they wanted to, and uh, those kind of things. Maybe some of those would turn into gladiators to be used in the amphitheater. Um, but the processional included festivals and dancing and singing and flower petals strewn all over the place as this celebration was taking place. Now, Jesus' triumphal entry was a lot different than any that was seen in Rome. But Jesus approached the city of Jerusalem with all the makeshift fanfare that the crowd could put together at the last minute's notice. You ever had a party at the last minute? And somebody said, we ought to have a party. And everybody goes, yeah, okay, I'll help. And pretty soon you have this put-together thing. That's kind of what they were doing. And spur of the moment. But they were just as excited to see Jesus as he was making, leading the procession of, of his, with his disciples. 
They were just as excited as if he was a Roman conquering hero coming into to Rome. They were, this was their king. This was their hero. So they did the best they could with palm branches and clothes and a donkey's colt. And they yelled and screamed and had fun. Why do we remember Palm Sunday? What does this scene tell us about our king? Well, he came first in peace and humility. Could have separated these, but that's okay. It just kind of, they're similar to me. The Roman emperors and generals would ride a splendid horse or arrive in a polished chariot. And Jesus came in riding a donkey colt. This sent a big signal. Big signal. Our Lenten devotional writer for today mentioned that Matthew recorded this incident as a fulfillment of a prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 stated to the, the people of Israel, Rejoice and shout, Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus is riding this way to fulfill a prophecy about his kingship. And it was shown by the type of animal he chose, the type he rode. And the people would have, those especially that were familiar with the Old Testament scriptures would have said, this is our king. He's riding the colt of a donkey in fulfillment of the prophet Zechariah. No one rode a donkey to war. They didn't ride him to war. Donkeys were slower. Donkeys were smaller. And what else do we know about donkeys? Right? Trying to yank the... That was me yanking my donkey. You have to use your imagination. They're known to be stubborn. Smaller, slower, more stubborn. Do you want to... Can you see this? Okay, it's time to charge. And your donkey just sits down. Alright, so it's not going to work. Anyway, so Jesus, by riding the colt of a donkey, is sending a message of not war, but peace. He's coming in peace. And a donkey is a barnyard animal. It's not good for a whole lot. It's a beast of burden. You can put your goods on it. And then yank him into the market, and, uh, and, or you can put people on it. Interesting, I was thinking about this, that when Joseph and Mary were fleeing to Egypt, riding a donkey with baby Jesus, and also they came from Nazareth down to Bethlehem before Jesus was born on a donkey. So uh, Jesus had a donkey at the beginning of his life and at the end of his life, but so they, this barnyard animal, good only for carrying packs and people, and noisy. Have you ever heard a donkey bray? I mean up close. Thank you, Debbie. That's, that's Jared. He's pointing to himself. He's proud of himself, acting. You ought to see what other sound effects he has. 
Do you have sound effects for the, for the congregation saying amen and praise the Lord and hallelujah? You need to work on that. I can hold up the sign and they go, yeah, a laugh track would work too. All right. Well, so here we have this barnyard animal. We had, um, and when we lived in Mississippi district, they had a, a campground, Nazarene campground. And uh, the tabernacle was clear on one side and the, t- and the dining hall was clear on the other side. Our kids were real little. In fact, some weren't even born yet. And we were known for the pastor in the district that carried his kids back and forth in a wagon, a little red wagon. And uh, we went back and forth across. Well, they had this pond fenced in, and around this pond, somebody had donated a donkey. And that thing would sound off in the most inappropriate times. Middle of the sermon, it didn't matter. It was just... Early in the morning, and just carried on, and everybody knew it. It was loud, loud, very loud, louder than that. Uh, Anyway, so Jesus is sending, by using a donkey, a message of humility. It's just not the horse you would pick. It's not the mode of transportation you would pick if you wanted to say, look at me, here comes the king who's going to war or has just come back from war. So today's writer for For God So Loved the, the, the World, God So Loved Our Book, he wrote, so many Christians today seem to think that our appropriate posture toward the world is one of battle. Fighting, gaining power, Finding your voice, whatever they may call it, it's all about trying to use power. That seems to be the emphasis today. Even among Christians, if we could only stand up to the world, if we could only defeat the world. But Jesus' followers, he says, are called to a different way. Our leader came riding a colt of a donkey. A small donkey. Peace and humility. During this final week of Lent, as we begin to focus and draw nearer and nearer to the cross, it would be good to concentrate in our own personal lives more on peace and humility than it is I'm right and I'm going to have my way. That would be some good attitudes for us to work on as Christians. Because Jesus, why can we have that attitude? Because Jesus has already won the war. The war was already won. He defeated Satan on the cross and resurrecting from the empty tomb. Jesus has won the war. He's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's now living within our hearts. The war has been won. And we keep marching off to do battle when Jesus has already defeated everything. It's just we got to link up with Jesus so that others can choose to follow him. Jesus is already the king. And we will reach more people with kindness than with our fighting. Just a thought to think about in this final week of Jesus' life as you 
read in your scriptures and follow through on his way to the cross where he went without fighting. Second point, he came with healing. In John's gospel that we looked at last week, the triumphal entry came right after Mary poured the oil on Jesus' feet in celebration of the resurrection of her brother Lazarus. The occasion of which we looked at the difference between Mary and Judas was all about honoring Jesus because of what he had done. And I think of the healing that took place in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ again and again. And that's one aspect of his ministry that he would touch people and he touched them with all their problems, even if it would make him unclean. He would do it. His touch transformed their lives again and again. People were able, because of his touch, to get up, to see, to become part of society again as their leprosy was healed or their lame legs were made straight or their blindness was was gone or or the ability to speak or hear was restored, whatever it was, the withered hand. Jesus restored them, and they were able then to go back to work. They were able then to provide for their families. They were able then to become productive in in their society instead of begging for help all the time. And so this is what he was doing, and, and people were drawn to become believers and drawn to become his followers because of his ministry of healing. It made a big difference in people's lives, wherever he would go. And even one of his final acts before his crucifixion, while he was being arrested, and, and, and Peter yanks out his sword and swings at a guy's head and, and misses his head but hits his ear and takes it off. Fishermen don't make good swordsmen, I guess. And Jesus reaches up, and reattaches the ear and heals Malchus as he is being arrested. One of his final acts is healing. But his healing never stopped there. He went to the cross. And the Bible says, with his stripes we are healed. As they tore him up, and the blood flowed, It was for us. And not just physical healing, but emotional and mental and spiritual healing. And so I see the triumphal entry is connected to Jesus' healing ministry. The people saw his miracles as a sign of his Messiahship. And Jesus had been able to make a difference to the blind, the lame. But what about the spiritually blind? What about the leprosy of sin? Jesus came And he really wanted to heal them as well in their spiritual as well as in their physical. And sometimes he would say, your sins are forgiven you. And then he would say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Jesus was concerned about the spiritual as well. And he's still doing spiritual healing today. Along with the other kinds of healing. Isaiah prophesied that with his stripes we are healed. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day knowing that his was a mission of mercy. He was on his way to die for our spiritual healing. And number three, he came with tears. 
We mentioned that the very next thing that Luke recorded in his gospel after our passage that we read this morning was Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He came with tears when he was riding that donkey's colt into into the city that day. Sin was destroying Jerusalem. Sin was destroying the Jewish people. Sin was destroying the Roman Empire, which would soon be corrupted from within and be destroyed. Sin was destroying all the people that God had created. The whole world was full of sin, destroying people. Sin even meant the temple would be restored. The people of Israel would be slaughtered. That evil would destroy everything that they knew about. By AD 70, 40 years later, it was all gone. Everything they worshipped that day was gone. There were so many crosses in Jerusalem, they could not find any more wood to make another cross to put another Jew on that day. When they prayed, his blood be upon us and upon our children, they didn't know how literally it would be fulfilled. Jesus sees the sin, and he knows what's going to happen, and he weeps over Jerusalem. See, he came with tears. The world needed an intervention. And God sent Jesus to be the intervention for this world. For God so loved that he gave that whosoever believes God's intervention was to send Jesus. And Jesus is the one crying for God to intervene. And he did. He came with authority. After he came with tears, the next thing Luke writes about is that Jesus enters Jerusalem. Well, he cried over the city and entered Jerusalem. And what did he do? He headed to the temple. And the priests and the religious leaders and the town businessmen are taking opportunity, especially on these feast days, when all these outsiders would come in, they would force them. First of all, their Roman coins weren't good enough because they had the image of Caesar on them, so they had to change them, exchange them to Jewish coins, which did not. And then they could use the Jewish coins to buy the temple sacrifices because their lambs weren't good enough. Their goats weren't good enough. Their Pigeons weren't good enough. Whatever they brought wasn't good enough. They had to be raised by the shepherds around Jerusalem. And they had to be uh, blessed by the priest or something anyway. So they kept marking up the price. You couldn't exchange your money without losing some money in the process. You couldn't change your animals without losing some money in the process. And so they were milking money into the temple system. And into their own pockets as businessmen. Religious scams to the out-of-towners. You can imagine some of the people are kind of upset about it. And they conveniently set up shop in the outer courtyard of the temple. And the temple courtyards have been set aside. The priest, the men of Israel, the women of Israel, and then the Gentiles, the different courts, so you could go as far as you could. And here out there, in the outer reaches where the people should have been able to pray 
and worship God. They couldn't come any further. Instead, you couldn't pray because you had animals and money changers and all the other things going on. And Jesus got angry. The temple was a place set aside for the worship of Almighty God. It was not a place of commerce. It wasn't a place to make money. So Jesus began to turn over their tables and he made a whip and he drove the animals out. He caused a riot. He caused chaos. He exposed their game that this was all nothing more than to make money. And it did not belong in the church. He came with authority of Almighty God. Jesus had to remind them that the church is a place set aside for worship and prayer. It was time to get their priorities straight. So he came with authority. Aren't you glad he did? So you see tears one moment, anger the next. I wonder if God looks at some of our churches today and says, what on earth are they doing? Number five, he also came with followers. Instead of an army following their king in this procession of triumph, what the crowd saw that day were common men, women, and children waving palm branches, putting their coats in the parade route, and shouting praise. The coats were more like blankets, the outer thing that they would put on and, and then take off and wrap around them when they slept, take off if it got hot. So here's these common people. Do you get the picture? These people were not sitting. These people weren't snoring. Poke your neighbor, see if they're snoring. Jesus was in the midst. Jesus was on his way. And they were physically running and jumping and waving and shouting. Read verse 37. I mean, they were into this. What was it? It was a celebration. Some of them were probably worn out when they went home from church that day. I know you're worn out when you go home from church. Because of your singing and shouting and running and praising and. Or is Pastor the only one that goes somewhere else? <laughs> As I shared with the Wednesday night group, and we were talking from Psalm 22, when, when God answered prayer and rescued David, David had a celebration. And he invited the whole congregation to get involved. And he spent a lot of money feeding that congregation. He really got involved. He said, God has answered my prayer. I'm going to give everything for a celebration. And back then when they did it, they got out the horns and the cymbals and the... You ever been to church service where they blew horns and smashed cymbals together? Played some harps and some other things, but man, it would be noisy. They didn't let you sleep in those churches. You never heard a ram's horn? Those things are loud. 
Anyway, that's what they did. I worry sometimes, though, that we take God's blessings for granted and forget to celebrate and forget to worship when we come to church on Sunday morning. Yes, that's right, Pastor. I think sometimes we forget to worship and celebrate and praise the Lord when we come to worship on Sunday morning. Do we forget that Jesus died on the cross? That's what we're here for. Do we forget that he saved us from a terrible pit of sin? That's what we're celebrating today. Do we forget that Jesus has promised us freedom? And that Jesus has promised us eternal life? And that Jesus has promised us we can be with him forever? That Jesus has promised to wipe away every tear? That Jesus has said, I will be with you always? That Jesus said... And he said, and he said, and he promised, and he gives us, and he gives us. Do we forget that every Sunday is a celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection? That's why we meet on Sunday. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. They used to meet on Saturday. But because of Jesus Christ, now we meet on Sunday to worship God. The whole thing changed because of Jesus Christ. The celebration got so loud in church that day, and they they were on the way to church. But the celebration got so loud that day that what the Pharisees they had they got kind of upset. Verse 39, they requested Jesus rebuke his disciples. I don't know what happened, but they used to call us noiserines. But somewhere along the line, the Pharisees got involved. Now, 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 quiet down, church. We don't want anyone to hear about this good news about Jesus. So don't open your windows in the church and sing too loudly. And and we don't want any people getting saved and going to heaven anymore, so let's keep quiet, Nazarenes. Keep it quiet when you're worshiping God. In fact, we don't mind if you fall asleep when you worship. That'd be okay. But keep, keep your celebration small, keep it subdued, keep it with inside the four walls, and for goodness sakes, shh, don't raise a hand, because your lightning rod gets up and God might, and you might do something crazy like say, amen, or praise the Lord, or that's the truth, or thank you, Jesus. And you know what? We have an issue with this. We have too much decorum today. And we've lost a little bit of the spark that we used to have. Some of you older ones know what I'm talking about. I'm not saying we have to do it the same way that they did it. What I'm saying is, I'm looking for the day... When the young people say, I'm excited about Jesus. When young adults are beginning to say, I'm excited about Jesus. 
I feel him in my heart. Woo! And I'm really going to look for the day when one of those old Christians gets the fire and glory and begins to walk around here praising Jesus. That was a part of what we were. That was multiplied by ten times right there. And sometimes we had to have traffic cops in the aisles. I've seen them where they wiped out. We have carpet, which is a good thing. But I've seen them where they come running and miss the turn. Boom. What you get with slick shoes on Sunday morning, a slick floor. So ever since that guy did that, and I I remember him from college, he wore his tennis shoes to church after that. He never fell down again. All right, church, let's keep quiet now. Jesus, rebuke your disciples. They're saying, they're saying a little too much. They're praising God a little too much. They might get out. The Romans might hear us. And they might wonder what's going on. So let's keep it quiet because we don't want the sinners to hear what's going on. Come on, church. And Jesus replied, verse 40, that if his followers quit praising God... What would happen? The stones would immediately cry out. Jesus is stating that praise and worship to God will happen with or without you. Somewhere today, people are praising the Lord. Somewhere today, people are saying, thank God, thank God, he saved me. Thank God he died on the cross. Thank God he's preparing a home for me. Thank God that sins are gone. Thank you, Jesus. And I know the rest of you are saying it in your heart. And it's okay. It's okay. But I'm worried sometimes that the message doesn't get out because they don't see us praising and glorifying God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw people to myself. So when people go out in the community and say, oh, Jesus is so good. Jesus is my Savior. Amen. Where's Ian? Ah. Why do you think Christians like to go to concerts? Ian's one of our concert goers. Stacy and others. Why do you think they like to go to concerts? Because it's loud. Right? And they begin to praise Jesus, and it gets so loud that you can't hardly stand it, and you need earplugs, but they're praising Jesus, right? And some people like that because then they can really feel like they're doing something to tell Jesus they love them. I don't like concerts. They're too loud. But I do like noise when we praise Jesus. Amen. We don't need a concert to praise God. You don't. But you do need to find a way to physically get involved in the worship of Almighty God. I don't know what your way is, but find it and get involved in it 
If it's a little wave of the hand, if it's a little amen now and then, if it's a little I thank you, Jesus, if it's a time of prayer, if it's a time of praise, if whatever it is that you can do to say hallelujah, praise the Lord, we need to get ready because we have this to do when we get to heaven. Because if you read in heaven, they're not quiet. They're standing around praising God, and some of them are doing it 24-7. I know we're not super religious like those that have been there for a long time, but they're there 24-7. And they run out of time. They don't know what day it is. And they just want to glorify Jesus Christ for saving them for sin and giving them a free home forever in heaven. Physically involved. My friends, are you a real follower of Jesus Christ? Then why are we so quiet when it comes to praising Jesus? And I'm not saying, I'm not worried that you guys are going to go crazy with this. And make so much noise that I'll be embarrassed as a pastor and have to rein you in. I'm not worried about it. Are you worried? Nah, you're not worried about that. Number six, he came to establish a kingdom. He came and established a kingdom. See, these followers of Jesus Christ praising God and carrying on, they had something going on in their heart and life because of what Jesus did. And I know that they, for a while here, were pretty messed up because they were expecting him to to start right then. But he had to die first and then resurrect from the grave. And when he did, then they established the kingdom. <laughs> this triumphal entry took place at the beginning of the Jewish festival called the Passover. And Passover, if you remember, was remembering uh, the way God spared the lives of the Jews in the miraculous way that God cared for them, freeing them from oppressive Egyptian regime and their rule so that they could start their own nation in the promised land 40-some years later. And so here we have this Passover and here we have these men going around, and they're getting their goats and, and animals, or lambs, I guess it is. And, and Jesus is highlighting the remembrance of the Exodus and pointing to a new Exodus. Set you free. Get you, out of, get you out of sin. Get you into the kingdom of God. It's a different Exodus. Get you out of Egypt. Get you in the promised land. Jesus is saying, I'm going to set you free from sin. I'm going to die on the cross for your sins. So Jesus is bringing a sacrificial offering toward the city, only this offering is going to be not the lamb, but the lamb. He's bringing himself, and he's saying, I'm the one that's going to die for your sins. I'm the one that's going to help you to get out of sin. I'm the one that's going to make the exodus out of of sin and into heaven, and into eternal life, and into a relationship with God. And while the Jews would soon be applying the blood of a sacrificial lamb to the door frames of their house, following that ritual that had been established hundreds of years before, thousands of years before, they were going through that ritual. Symbolically, then their sons would be spared. Because the death angel would pass over, that's the way it was in Egypt, the houses that had the blood applied to the door. But the firstborn sons of all the Egyptian houses and any Hebrew house that did not put the blood, the firstborn son will be killed. 
So symbolically, again, as they, as they think of that moment and that what occurred, and they're applying the blood to the doorpost and eating their unleavened bread because it was made in so hasty it didn't have time to rise as they had to flee Egypt and get out of town. And the bitter herbs and all the rest of the things that go along with it. But the thing that was impressed upon their mind and heart about the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. But they didn't understand that that person that they were praising that day, it was his blood. Jesus became the Passover lamb. He is the lamb of God. He was God's only son. They protected their sons by the blood. Jesus gave his life, his blood. God's only son came to what? Protect us, to free us. We don't have to die. We can be free because the death angel passes over us and we don't go to hell. We go to heaven because of Jesus. The Jews missed the significance of what Jesus was doing. On that Palm Sunday, many people thought Jesus was coming as the king of the Jews. Jesus did come, though, and he did establish a kingdom, all right. But it was a kingdom that wasn't bounded by Israel's borders. It didn't have any geographical boundaries. That's not what concerned Jesus. What state or what country do you live in? That's not it. Indiana's in, Illinois's out. No. No geographical boundaries in Jesus' kingdom. It's not about racial bloodlines. You don't have to be a Jew to be in. That's not it anymore. It's any country, any language, any people, any color of their skin that accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior. They can be a part of the kingdom of God. We talk about all the racial divide and all this stuff in America and on and on it goes. I tell you what, the kingdom of God is not about whether you're an American or not. It's not about what, what uh, skin you are or what background you have in language. It's all about Jesus Christ. This is the first uniting, and it's been going on for 2,000 years, of people from all areas of the world coming to Christ. And he is their king. And they're part of the kingdom. I was sharing with a membership class this morning. The Church of the Nazarene, two and a half million of us. 28% of them are Africans. 29% are middle, uh, South American and Central American. Over half are in those two areas. And there's more in Europe and Asia and all those different countries. And guess how many? Almost a fourth of us are Americans in Canada. The Church of the Nazarene is part of the kingdom of God, which is part of the world, ladies and gentlemen. It's not about America. It's not an American religion. It's a global religion. Thank God. Whew. 
This was a kingdom for anyone who would choose to believe in Jesus and ask them to become their king and would fall before him and bow and say, you are my king. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my savior. You are the one I believe in. You're the one I will follow. You will give me directions and I will go. I will do and I will say and I will be the kingdom of God. His kingdom was to be founded on God's love, Jesus' death, and human belief. God's love, Jesus' death, and human belief. That's what we have found it on. For God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus' death, that whoever believes our belief on him shall have everlasting life. That's what it's founded on. God's love, Jesus' death, and our belief. And it takes all three. Jesus did his part. God did his part. Now we have to believe and accept that salvation. Today as Christians, we are called to live as citizens of the kingdom of God, which means we are called to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, Jesus said. We are called to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're the ones that should be going through the world saying, you and you unite. Get together. Get across those aisles. Make something happen. It's not about what you want, and I won't do anything else. It's about getting together. We need some peacemakers in Washington. We need some peacemakers around our world. And Christians are the only ones who can do that. Ooh, thoughts going on there. I got to go on. We're supposed to be humble servants. Willing to wash feet, willing to take the secondary job, willing to do whatever it takes, like Jesus did, even if it means going to a cross. We are to remember whose we are and who we are reflecting to the world. You know what? We cannot fit in with sinners. For we follow Jesus. You will not fit in. You can't do what they do. But you can go to them with the message of the cross and invite them to accept Jesus themselves. I've used the word weirdos a lot. (laughs) Because we are part of the kingdom of God. It's not geographic. It's not bloodlines. It's Jesus It's Jesus. And thinking about these peacemakers, we need some peacemakers in our homes today. The thought just went back. Peacemakers is a powerful, powerful, powerful word. We have a world that's just divided, and I want my own way, and I want my own way now. And it's destroying our homes, our communities, our family, our country, and our world. Blessed are the peacemakers. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem that day, he was riding toward his death. Yet he came with peace in his heart, humility as his attitude, healing in his hands, tears in his eyes, authority in his voice. So in this final week of Lent, we are challenged to approach life and death the way Jesus did. But Jesus also arrived with a group of followers Actively celebrating his presence with shouts of praise. And as we reflect on Christ's death this week, I hope that we will have reason to praise our Savior this week. 
I hope that all week long you begin to think about what Jesus did for you. And that your heart will well up with praise. And by the time Easter Sunday comes, you will explode with your love and gratitude to Jesus Christ. And that will carry on to the rest of your life. As this Lenten season comes to a close, we're in our final week, we're reminded of our citizenship. That we do not belong just here, but we belong up there. We belong to a greater king and a bigger kingdom. And this kingdom that we belong to looks so different from the world that's around us. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a responsibility to hail our king and to live for him who died for us and to let that message get out. So as we carry our own crosses this week, let us remember to communicate the love of Jesus to everyone that we meet because they may not have heard For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the good news. It's family altar time. As the praise team comes and leads us in our worship, let's open up our hearts. Let's come to pray. I wish half of you would come and celebrate what Jesus is doing for you. Just come and give him praise. And the other half, come and and say, Lord, help me to move up in this direction. Help me to be better in this thing. Amen? All of us want to get closer to God, right? So let's allow him to work on us today. We're, We're entering the final week before Easter. Let's give God everything. Everything. Amen. Let's stand together. Come and pray.
Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. (laughs) God is so good. Lord Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this moment before the cross. Thank you for this week. We get to think about and celebrate Jesus. All that you went through. And Lord, as we focus some on the pain and suffering, but you did it all for me and for all these people that are here, each one of us, you did it all for us that we could be free from our sins and we could have eternal life with you forever in heaven. So Lord, we surrender ourselves to you today, the start of Holy Week. And just invite you, Lord, to speak to our hearts. Draw us up close to you. Help us, Lord, to feast on you. Help us, Lord, to grow in you. Help us to get more and more of Jesus in our heart and life. Heal us, Lord, from our sicknesses. Heal us, Lord, from our our desires. Heal us, Lord, from our faults. Bring us, Lord, to a place of crucifixion with you so we can die with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. Help us, Lord, to rise victorious, believing that God is the resurrection and the life and that he lives within us and he makes us who we are. And help us to be part of the kingdom of God. Join heirs with Jesus. Thank you. We're part of the family of God. We're part of a multitude of people who for thousands of years now have served Jesus Christ. And Lord, take us home to be with you in heaven. Lord, we love you. We've learned this world cannot solve the problems of this world. Only Jesus can solve the problems of this world. Only Jesus can help us in our families and our relationships. Only Jesus can help us with our finances. Only Jesus is the one who can set us free and break the bands of sin and the bondages and the addictions. Only Jesus has the power to make us Christ-like and to make us followers and disciples. And only Jesus is the kingdom. And only you are the way, the truth, and the life. So, Lord, we come to you today and we surrender to you. Thank you for this time of prayer. And now, Lord, as we worship you and celebrate what God is doing and what God has done, Lord, help us to give it everything we've got. Help us to get involved physically in the way that we praise God because you are worthy of our praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're looking for a church in the Brazil-Indiana area, The Brazil Church of the Nazarene invites you to join us as we seek Him, celebrate Him, and serve Him. Sunday morning, we have Sunday school at 9 a.m. and worship at 10 a.m. During worship, we have We Worship for preschool-aged kids and a children's church for elementary-aged kids. For this information, news, a schedule of events, and more, please visit us online at brazilnaz.com. That's B-R-A-Z-I-L-N-A-Z.com. Or visit us in person at 1002 East National Avenue in Brazil. Thank you and God bless.